Thank like you, fascinator. It's fascinating. That's what I was going for. What did we talk about on Saturday? I've forgotten everything that's happened in both follows for the last month. I have just been talking about code a lot, like to the point where I worry I feel obnoxious, but I upped the amount of time I've been spending studying over the last couple of weeks. So my brain is like just C now. That's cool. I mean, if you're gonna talk about it with anyone, talking about it with me and Sterling is probably good because he knows what you're on about. And I'm perfectly happy tuning out and just listening to the bits that I understand. Things do stuff. They do. So I hear uh, the the boxes they associate. The uh, yes, associated containers, maps. Mm. It's really That's frustrating. Kind of diplomacy, is it? I assume. Yeah, so. pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, with key value pairs, I was really confused about what these map thing was. Map things <laughs> were for ages <laughs> until you said the phrase key value pairs, and it's like, oh, they're those things from JavaScript. I know exactly what uh-huh. these are. Nice. And now I know so how to basically nest them. terra incognita map. Yeah. Things. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Totally, exactly the same. Excellent. Glad to hear it. This would have been a fun chance to, and maybe I will next week or the week after, look at some of the old maps where people were just guessing at what was there. On the map thing, uh, Zinkster on our subreddit has contributed a couple of useful bits of info. Ah, good. And one of them is that uh, Australia was actually thought to be just the northern extremity of an actual counterweight continent, (gasps) Terra Australis Incognita. Damn it, I should have looked into this. Yeah, must only exist to counterweight the mass of the northern continent, and it was originally named New Holland. Uh, Dutch. And then it became apparent it wasn't actually part of a bigger southern landmass even before oh. they found Antarctica. And then the British somehow got the naming rights, is how Zinkstoke put it. We can fill in the gap with colonialism. I think at least at one point one of the guys went along like renaming everything the Dutch had just named, like in quite an amusing manner. That literally like the Dutch would put down a flag saying, like, this is New Holland now. And then this guy would sort of sneak along and take the flag and put a different flag. And go, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That I was looking a... into Esperanto last night, which has nothing to do with anything, but is soft open material, potentially. <laughs> potentially. Uh, Esperanto, that's that weird, like, kind of hybrid language, right? It is, yeah. Jack was very into it years and years ago. It's kind of, it's a language that was made up to be the, there was no better, there must be a better term than lingua franca but of um yeah of europe and it is surprisingly well not surprisingly i suppose easy to pronounce to read bits of because in the same way that it's quite easy to pick up bits of romance language bits of germanic just it's similar yeah we've all got quite a lot of shared synonyms that then translate slightly um there are words you can easily pick out and remember. And yeah, it, it was it's a designed language designed to allow people to communicate more easily across yeah. Europe, uh, potentially as well. I didn't look very much into the history of it. I was just mainly doing Google Translate sentences to annoy Jack like, as he was trying to fall asleep. Uh, that um, seems, seems like, like a reasonable use of Don't let time. the bed pugs bite kind of thing, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, in, in, the, in the process, I was like, I quite like this language. This would be an utter waste of time to learn and I kind of want to um yeah because it, it didn't really catch on did it no and I don't understand why not because we, we maybe it will now we're quite so hated because yeah. everyone's kind of just speaks English or a variation of English there, there's kind of some EU 
unwritten accepted pronunciations and grammar rules of English that are used in um in Brussels and things which is quite an interesting thing in itself but it does seem a bit odd for them to continue accepting the use of English when we have disgraced ourselves quite so thoroughly on the European stage but not us personally I feel like we need to clarify England as I know I think it was you and I that got us kicked out yeah I I keep these things from you but Patricia Makey Fret is the reason Europe hates us. Oh my God, I haven't looked at the news today, have you? No, um, I did look briefly because I had not, because the news has been like so taken up with everything in Ukraine, understandably, Mm -hmm. uh, I hadn't heard about the flooding in Australia, which is kind of horrifically ironic considering we're doing a book about how Australia has no water, Mm. uh, that there are a lot of horrific flooding on the East Coast right now, especially sort of New South Wales type area. Oh shit! Sorry, Australia. So, no sorry. Idea. Literally, yeah. Literally, when you click on the BBC, it's all Russia. So I hadn't. Um, I think I only saw because uh, Sam C and our subreddit um, sent us some some greetings from the land of Forex. Oh yeah, uh, including large buildings marked with XXXX. Oh really? Uh, but so, oh yeah, I see it now. Now the flooding has subsided, and it was like, oh, were you underwater? Yeah, no, you're. Bit of your country was underwater. Hmm. Yes, that is uh fair. I heard that Shane Warne died, and I didn't hear that like there was massive flooding. Who's Shane Warne? Cricketer. Oh yeah. Australia, like very famous, like the only cricketer whose name I could tell you, honestly. I haven't um, heard of him and he, he dated Liz Hurley for a long time. And I'm gonna oh, okay, be honest, fair. I think that's why I know who he is. Yeah, that's fair. Not because of his patented leg spin technique. I feel you like could I... say absolutely anything. Tell me it's a cricket term, and I would believe you. Yeah, but other people listen to these conversations now. Oh yeah. <laughs> and please remember, <laughs> listeners, that we keep cricket in the same category as physics. Do not explain it to me. Exactly. So um... I'm not against cricket. I just don't want to understand cricket because that would ruin Francine and I's method of enjoying cricket matches when we're forced to watch them which is to narrate a tea party with a young, confused raptor mm-hmm. in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was ah. the, the only way to do it. It is basically a screensaver. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. But Boy Raptor had a lovely cup of tea. I saw some nice TikTok nostalgia videos. I think TikTok's definitely got my number now as vaguely wistful 90s kid, um, showing some of like the Windows 98 screensavers. I was like, oh, I'm <laughs> sitting here watching Windows 98 screensavers and enjoying it. I feel like uh, TikTok, the algorithm, is still kind of figuring out what to do with me. Mm. Like it's finally stopped trying to show me like kink-talk related videos. Mm. I'm not sure why it kept showing me kink-talk. Uh, I don't know if it was because I was pausing on some because the music was good. Uh, But now it just keeps showing me food videos, which I hate so much. I don't like the TikTok food videos because all the cooking's bad. Mm. But some of it's I I try to be very picky with food videos I send you Um, because you're quite right. Most of them do seem like I can hear you when I'm watching them going, what the fuck are you doing? Like those ridiculous cocktails and like coffees and things where the whole point is to like make a pretty video out of it and I'm like I yeah. don't think that would taste good no exactly it's not quite as bad as like the really really bad this has done been done to generate clicks and nothing else food videos like yeah the bacon break or whatever kind of genre or the weird I have a countertop covered in like nacho cheese that I'm crumbling everything into and mixing up with my bare hands videos that feels like it's like borderline a weird fetish thing mm. 
Yeah. Gotta be. Huh. And on that note, um, do you want to make a podcast? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's 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 um let's not go further down that path. Yes, let's make a podcast and not talk about food fetishes. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> Although there's probably a fetish somewhere in like picking up a rock and finding a decent sandwich underneath. Or am I just peckish? It might be that. Hello and welcome to The Truth Shall Make You Fret, a podcast in which we are reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, one at a time in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen. And I'm Francine Carroll. And we are talking about The Last Continent. Yay! One of the best. Exciting. Yes. Uh, Note on spoilers before we crack on. We are a spoiler light podcast, Uh, obviously heavy spoilers for the book The Last Continent, but we will avoid spoiling any major future events in the Discworld series. And we are saving any and all discussion of the final Discworld novel, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there so you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. You don't have a choice because I accidentally took out the bit of wood that was propping up the window. (laughs) We're on this journey now. (laughs) A listener emailed us to ask about where what's the deal with towel wasps? Uh, oh um, yeah, uh, the deal is they, they were, were in, mentioned in Hogfather, and I say I think I said I would rather die than face them, something like that. Yeah, no, I don't want to talk to uh, towel wasps. Talk mm-hmm. to towel wasps. Talk about towel wasps. I, th- I think they were brought up as the one of the potential gremlins brought on by the magic sloshing around. Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, that sounds right. We have heard some lovely emails as well from listeners who are like going back, listening from the beginning and are only up to say sort of Eric or so. So mm-hmm. hi for when you finally get here. Welcome. Yes. Um, and we've had a few Reddit comments, emails and that talking about some of the older episodes. And I can only apologize, listeners, if you ask or comment on something specific I said or Joe said, because I cannot. I don't know what I said. I don't know what I said that long ago. I can't, I can vaguely remember the gist of some of the conversations, but honestly, that's pushing it. Um, I found, I went th- back through some old notes and like written notes and episode plans because I wanted to check some details of things for mm-hmm. this book from where it references previous books. And oh, yeah. yeah, I have references to things I have talked about. I still don't know. I really yeah. don't know. I think I stand a bit more chance than you just because I edit the bloody things, but um. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I, I listen to the episode before it comes out. But as soon as I've done that, like as soon as I hit like publish episode, leaves my brain. Gone. Mm. Apologies that this episode is coming a day or two late, listeners. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that, that should jobs. be my apology. I must say that's um, I, I, I'm off this week and that means it's late because, <laughs> because usually we record on a Friday night and I had to work very late because nobody else does my job when I'm away. So, <laughs> yay deadlines! And we wanted to go and see each other in person on Saturday, which was a delight. Even if the coffee place we went to had incredibly low sofas, and we all got a yeah. bit stuck. That was an interesting choice of furniture. I don't think anybody. I mean, we're all around thirty. I'm yeah. not sure many people in another ten years say like that's a very age specific seating area. It was. I'm not exaggerating that much, listeners. My knees were nearly up to my shoulders. You have got a lot of limb. I do have a lot of limb, but even so. My knees were nearly up to my shoulders and I'm not quite as limby mm. as you. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is probably the most hipster coffee place in town though, so I'm going to blame vegan. What? It's vegan. They have a like a bike in the front window, mm-hmm. like an old old style bike, so that makes it hipster. In the toilet, they have the lyrics to, uh, what's it called? The hip hop 
hippity 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 hop. Uh, don't stop. Oh no. I said a hip a hop a hip a hippity the hip hip hopper. You don't stop the rock into the bang 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 boogie. Up that jump, song. The boogie to the rhythm of the boogie that be mm-hmm. by Sugar Hill Gang. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh that's like a vinyl thing on uh, vinyl decal. sticker on the wall. Yeah. It also has that thing I really hate. Whether I love that the toilets are gender neutral, but I hate where it's like whatever just use the toilet just wash your hands and there's like the different human stick figures for like male and female and a non a, a half male half female one and then like a dinosaur and an alien and i hate that so it's, much which one like, are you what's, what's your gender oh, if you don't Diana, is it i wear half a skirt or is it you're a reptile <laughs> yeah. oh you don't fit into a gender well you're not human yeah mm. I, I get i get what they're trying to go for there yeah, no, but, um, I, I, it, it hits the mark a little bit when you try and think of non-binary people as people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I respect the attempt. I do not respect the execution. Yeah, yeah. But yes, anyway, gender. Also, also, they do. Why are we reviewing this place's toilet? But they do have um, like actual towels, like little towels yeah. instead of anything else, which I do prefer. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, God, Sorry, I'm not going to name gonna, this like... place, but I hope you enjoyed that detailed review of its bathroom, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about the book, The Last Yeah, no, we probably better, yeah. Do you know what? I told Joanna before we started, let's see if we can do this in one take, because I have to turn it around this evening and try and put it out at midnight. Um, and it's been entirely my fault that that's not happened, so... Would you like to introduce us to the book, The Last Continent? That is usually what I do, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So The Last Continent is the 22nd novel in the Discworld series. It was published in May 1998, and it held the number one position in British hardback fiction bestseller li- lists for 12 full weeks. Jesus. Yeah. One small extract from one of the reviews I rather liked uh, was, a Rincewind novel is basically a grand chase scene. And that was from Francis Spufford, Evening Excellent, Standard. Man. And I like that both for the sentiment and the reviewer's name. Mm-hmm. One other thing, uh, the book a slip of the keyboard which is a collection of pratchett's non-fiction mm-hmm. essays um has a whole bit that he wrote for sfx in june 98 so the next month uh where he did a tour of australia for book tour um i thought I'd just a small paragraph out of that i did my first australian tour in 1990 it was a bit of an eye-opener they talk about the uk and commonwealth rights and the contracts and the author says yeah yeah and signs and then you go out there and there's all these real people. Let's see, what were the highlights on that tour? Oh, yes, going into a bookshop in some tiny place called Toowoomba and finding a huge crowd of people. And on the signing table was a Vegemite sandwich and a cup of Milo, cornerstones of the Australian experience. One of the others is a chunder, which I didn't have. Anyway, the whole, the whole thing is good. And as usual, I will recommend a slip of the keyboard to anyone who hasn't had it and a little reread of that chapter for anyone who already has it on their shelf. It's a good book. It's I know this is one of your favourites. Yes. Uh, it much. is definitely my favourite of the Rincewind books, and I've been really looking forward to talking about it because I've only actually read it a couple of times. Ah, this, I'm going to say, is probably my most reread one. No, it's definitely not for mm. me. I think it's also one of the last ones I read uh, mm. before I, when I was like reading them all before I started like reading them as they came out. Yeah, uh, because the person I was hanging out with, who I was consistently borrowing them from, I wasn't allowed to touch his copy of The Last Continent because it was a uh, very nice hardback signed by Terry ah, Pratchett. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And uh, I was just not allowed near it. That's, like, that seems reasonable. Yeah. 
<laughs> which was very sweet. But yeah, no, it's good. I really enjoyed it. It's uh, fun because I'm sure there are a million more references to Australian stuff that are massively going over my head. Yeah, I'm looking for, I might break my rule and listen to um, Pratt Chat. Uh, have they done an episode on this one yet? I'm actually not sure if they have or not. So for context, this is obviously the book is uh, set in not Australia. Um, Pratchett are the our Australian equivalent, very good Australian Discworld recap podcast. And we did actually speak to them back in December. We did a little bonus guest spot for them. Uh, if you're a patron, you might have heard some of that conversation. We put it out for our patrons. But one of the things we did chat to them about, obviously, they said, do you want to ask us anything, was how do you feel about The Last Continent? Mm. So their perspective, which is obviously not all of Australia's perspective, is it is amazing how much shit got referenced that's not like cliche shit. English people know about Australia, but like weird, obscure Australian shit. Anyway, um, <laughs> should I tell us what happened in this first section? Yeah, no, that seems like a plan, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, first section, I did tweet before this came out, uh, going up to page 139 in the Corgi paperback, and happens as follows. As the unseen university attempts a decent night's kip, the bloodlows conduct a loud tradition, and the librarian shifts with the morphic flu. Uh, Ridcully's being proactive, thanks to Ponder's discoveries in the land of invisible writings, but the books are protesting as the librarian pales. Magic won't fix him with his name unavailable, but unfortunately the only wizard with such arcane knowledge is Rincewind, currently missing an XXXX after his Agatean adventure. We join Rincewind, grubbing around for dinner in a hot and unfriendly country, while far off and underground the luggage bursts forth. Rincewind wakes to being watched by a mysterious stranger who disappears before a disembodied voice sings the wizard into the shape of a talented food finder. In another desert, the man sends a trickster to aid the hapless hero. Rincewind, finding sandwiches under rocks, realises someone wants him alive, and a kangaroo stops to chat before being rudely interrupted by Rincewind falling down a hole. At the bottom of the waterhole, Rincewind sees ancient paintings that weren't there last week and learns that he's set the last continent out of sync. He sees a strange box with a lot of dear little legs in the cave paintings, and the ruin informs him that he's in charge of bringing back the rain. Predictably, Rincewind runs. On the road, Rincewind befriends a mad dwarf and joins in a fun little chase fight and salvage mission before learning that Mad doesn't believe in the rain. Meanwhile, the university faculty head to the Professor of Cruel and Egregious Geography's study to see if they can find the Forsaken Continent and instead discover a tropical island just outside his window. The wizards head through to provide the currently book-shaped librarian with some fresh sea air. On the beach, the wizards absolutely do not take a holiday, as they learn they're on a tiny island near the rim. Mrs Whitlow arrives with refreshments and unfortunately closes the way behind her, leaving them stranded. Our ragtag bunch of marooned misfits make plans, and as dinner time approaches, they discover the island has provided exceedingly well, growing many of their home comforts and one mysterious pair of empty boots. The librarian realises there's only one of everything, and Ponder awkwardly explains the conundrum as they argue over evolution, at least until a large reptile attacks, speedily evolves into chicken, and becomes a fine main course. Good stuff. Um, yes, they have done an episode. Um, I remembered that they've also put together the index of what Pratchett podcasts have done what episode. Yes. Uh, which I've now just checked, and they, they covered it in uh, 2020. 
Oh, cool. So, yeah, I'll, I'll link to that whole index, actually, because I'm not sure I have done before and it's useful. So I'll put that in the show notes, listeners. Uh, and you can have a look if uh, and f- find out who's better at us at explaining the episodes. Don't tell us, though. We'll be sad. Yeah, don't, never criticise us <laughs> where we can hear it. Criticise us as much as you like. Just don't tell us. I'm very I don't mind the I don't mind the odd criticism. Fine, uh, you can listen to it then. I don't yeah. want to. Well, no, that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's I. I take the, I take the phone line. Thank you. Um, God, imagine if we had a phone line. That'd be no, awful. no, absolutely not. Uh, how many about phone? phone? About well, like, do you remember those? Uh, do you remember those? Do you remember <laughs> the, the red phone thing that they did, like the secure line from the Cold War? Oh <laughs> not, yeah. Do you remember them? Have you seen those in movies? Yeah, like one of those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> remember when we were prime minister during the cold war yeah yeah absolutely that was uh that was a really fun time for all of us <laughs> jesus okay helicopter and loincloth watch mm-hmm. um i'm not gonna lie i gave up on helicopters a little bit for this section just yeah, for this section that seems fair i feel like there's there's a nice bit of implication of loincloth yeah 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 we'll go for that but all in all not a very loincloth helicopter heavy one no. Uh, other bits we keep track of, though. Obviously, we've got death here. We have mm. a turtle opening. We haven't had one of those for a few weeks. Yeah. And uh, the librarian is very much explained, but we will get to him. Yes. We'll get um, to him. One other callback is that Arch-Chancellor Weatherwax is again mentioned. Oh, yes, he is. Um, along with another Arch-Chancellor, Beaudley or something like that, who I don't remember seeing before, but interesting to see the history being built up. Mm-hmm. Uh, quotes. Quotes. Uh, mine's first, isn't it? Yeah. It is, rinse window oak with a scream to get it over with. I actually one of my had favorite that as mine. lines. I love it so yeah. much. Uh, I, uh, yeah. Yes, I'm, that's one of the ones that sticks in my head always. So, Yours, I assume, is a little more profound. No, no. not really. <laughs> the boundless silence made an eloquent statement about the universe's views on clean underwear. Oh, <laughs> I thought you'd, 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 um, the bullet point said boundless silence listeners. So I thought it was like one of the descriptions of the parallel universe would, uh, you know, we'll I mean? get into some of the really beautiful descriptions yep, later cool. on in the book, but that line <laughs> made me laugh more than it probably should have done. I'm very mature. Good. I'm glad that's nice for you. Oh, should we talk about the characters? The- yes. Let's. Who's first? Red Gully. Red Gully, the best. The best. Bad taste down there. Bad taste. My, again, uh, one of my favourite lines for anything ever. Very <laughs> ridiculous and simple. Just ending all sentences with that man. Mm-hmm. Uh, big fan. I don't know if listeners have, have noticed that we're a bit of a Red Cully stan podcast. Yeah, I think we should have just gone with that from the start, to be honest. Yeah, yeah just That's do a theme. A... Might have been hard with most of the books, but... Red Cully and it. Lady Sybil Rankin. Yeah. That pretty much <laughs> is all we need to talk about, isn't it? Um, he's been managing... He has. We'll, uh, we'll well, talk about, about him. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's managing, bless him, uh, with the help of Ponder. Mm. I enjoyed a couple of Rid Cully's nearly phrases. I'm not sure if footling around is anything I've heard before, rather than footling around, but I like it. Um, it's a delight. What's that got to do with the price of feet? <laughs> was good. And at it like knives. A fantastic man is Red Cully. He is. I like that there's other senior wizards have now learned how to manipulate him enough that they could at least go, you want to stay on the island? Mm. 
Let's encourage Ridge Cully to murder all of the fish. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. And then who do we have next? We Fonda. have Fonda Stibbons, Fonda who Stibbons. is adorable as always. The reader of Invisible Writings. Yeah, being uh, ground down by the relentless other faculty members. <laughs> I like that um, Like this book is one with a lot of callbacks compared to others. Again, it's mm. really like the series has settled into rhythm and now it knows what it can relate back to, especially yeah. with Rincewind books because they were the beginning. Um, and it acknowledges like that in the beginning, the university was written. In the beginning, the university the was written. No, but, uh, you know, the sort of promotion by Dead Men's Shoes, it was a very cutthroat place mm-hmm. and it's grown into... The younger wizards don't really care about killing the wizards above because they they want to play in their high energy magic building and go hurrah and it's all settled into a much more yeah how's it they put it we were going through one of those periods of uh, droit de morti <laughs> beautiful yes and my my little radicale ponder moment of choice is the it was a trivial error in bilocational dramat Thaumaturgy that anyone could make. But you made it, as I recall, said Brid Cully, whose memory could spring nasty surprises like that. Poor <laughs> <laughs> Fonda, he's trying his best. I like how much he cares about what's going to happen mm-hmm. uh, and how things have happened. It's when he's thinking about archaeological stuff and looking at old paleo skeletons. Mm. And uh, he's, he'd point out to people that fish were amazingly fish-shaped and they'd look at him like, uh, yeah. he, as if he'd gone mad. Yeah, it's it's one of those Discworld moments where they're like skirting on the edge of round-world known science and it's like ah, just missing some of the jigsaw pieces. Uh, like he was talking at one point about the, uh, the coat most coherent theory of evolution it heard from his nurse was like monkeys being bad little boys when come in when called and such like yeah. that which is a kind of call to a to an earlier version of the theory of evolution i think yeah um i've forgotten what it's called now but the you know the idea that giraffes got long necks because they were stretching to rich trees and uh, but yeah, it's fun. It's very sweet. I love when he's arguing about rev- uh, evolution, not revolution, with Ridcully and sort of Ridcully feels like he's trumped him. He's like, well, lemmings didn't grow wings. Yep. Well, they should have. Yeah. Yeah. Best yeah. time for it. When you're plundering, plunging towards the ground, the rapid, <laughs> rapid pace. <clears throat> Who's next? Librarian. Uh, the librarian. Oh, poor librarian. Poor librarian. So the librarian is sick with morphic flu. I... Got a freewheeling temporal gland, Joanna. It's not looking good. This book is one of those weird ones where, like, actually not a ton happens. If you know, like, lots of little things happen, but it's not like this big, like, compared to, like, some of the watch books where it's like plot, 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 plot. Yes. Yeah. A lot of it is situational humor, which makes me forget that the entire conceit of the book is that they're trying to find Rincewind to find the librarian's name to make him better because he's got the morphic flu. Yes. Yes, it is quite easy to forget that. <laughs> yeah, Prince Wynn's got a quest or something. These guys were literally, they were trying to, it's very relatable, isn't it? They were trying to find out one little bit of information and then it escalated. Now they're stuck on a desert island turn, trying to like who has fireballs at a dinosaur. Who hasn't done that? Absolutely. So I thought I was being really clever because they were talking about trying to find his real name. And I was mm. like, oh, well, they just need to go and read The Light Fantastic. It's definitely in there. It's fucking not. Think- yeah, no. no, I don't. Yeah, I think at the time we we said it wasn't. 
I remember at some point on the podcast talking about finding out the librarian's real name and it was in something. Mm. So I went through, I couldn't find the actual episode plans from when we did like Fantastics. I'm not even sure we had episode plans back then. Mm. Uh, if, if we, we did, did it might have just been scribbled in a notebook. Exactly. It definitely wasn't in the drive. I look back through the notebook I was using and my notes have gotten a lot neater in the last couple of years. Oh, well done. I'll be all the research you've been doing and the, the studying. Yes. Uh, so we don't find out his name in uh, like Fantastic. We do have the moment where he becomes the like the orangutan. Yeah, I remember him being described. The Octavo shoots off a big beam of magic. Um, it goes through the library. Several of the wizards later swore that the small, sad orangutan sat in the middle of it all looked very much like the head librarian. Mm. But we do know his actual name. Mm. It's Horace Warblehat. Is that so? Goodness. Uh, oops, I can sorry. see why he hasn't uh, publicised that. <laughs> it's never said in the books. It was confirmed in Art of Discworld, but I believe we knew it because it came up in the film. Right. He's referred right. to as Warblehat before he becomes an orangutan. Right, yeah, that explains why I just forgot it. You did blank most of that film out for your memory as soon as we finished it. But yeah, so well, what the wizard should have done is just gone through all of my notes and eventually Googled it, and then they would have found out his real name. Hmm. Well, I'm I'm well done. Is that why you were looking through all the old show plans and you were saying that you'd yes. remember? I was like, yeah, okay, nice, good. Who's and next? then... Uh, the general wizarding faculty I wanted to talk about because there's just some very good names. Mm -hmm. uh, the Professor of Recondite Architecture and Origami Map Folding. Recondite. Little known or esoteric. Ah. I had to Google that one as well. Very good. Uh, we have, I've already mentioned, the Egregious Professor of Cruel and Unusual Geography. <laughs> I want to, oh, I meant to do this. I want to come up with some more cool professor names. We'll try and do that for next week. We definitely did. Uh, the lecturer in creative uncertainty, mm -hmm. who's the one who's got the in-out slider, shows in both ways. <laughs> oh, which briefly reminds me, not relevant to this, but they've come incredibly close to managing to do quantum entanglement with tardigrades. Uh, I'll see if I can find I something. I know what a tardigrade is. I, I don't know what the rest of that is. Quantum entanglement is basically like, so you can make a target tardigrade be in two places at once. It is very that? close to doing a, that. Poor little water bears. It's very close to a huge scientific breakthrough in an understanding okay. of quantum physics. And therefore I don't really want to learn about what I just like the sentence quantum entanglement of tardigrades. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, we have the senior wrangler who is very creatively afraid. Yeah. <laughs> That bit makes me laugh so much every time. <laughs> tigers and gorillas, tigers and gorillas and elephants and pineapples. <laughs> pineapples? Oh yes, I have an I have an irrelevant elephant. I have an irrelevant oh, elephant. I do. An irrelevant elephant. I do. And the irrelevant elephant is that everybody should go and look at medieval depictions of elephants. Um, and <laughs> yes, I will link some in the show notes because the medieval depictions of elephants <clears throat> are very, almost always incredibly inaccurate. And hilarious, um, because most of the people drawing them had never seen one and were going off whatever animal was nearby in some vague descriptions. So some uh, that were clearly modelled on boars, some that were clearly modelled on dogs. Um, I saw some you reviewing that, some on TikTok and it brought me joy. Yeah, I've got two, two videos now reviewing medieval depictions of elephants. I, I fell down this rabbit hole, do I? I'm not going to lie. No way. No shit. Mm, yeah, no, it's not like me, is it? 
uh, getting way too into something obscure, especially if it involves elephants. Anyway, sorry, what were we talking about? Senior wrangler. Uh, listeners, look up medieval elephants. Stay away from pineapples. Mm. Do. Uh, and prawns, apparently, incredibly dangerous, especially if they are in a crate. Yes. Stay away from crates, everybody. Got that? Good. Good. <laughs> and then, of course, the bazaar. Bazaar! Bazaar! Poor Bessa. He was trying. Poor Bessa. I, oh, that was exactly the page oh, sorry. <laughs> You're thinking, what kind of bird stops flying around for a quick smoke? A puffin, said the Bessa. Glad to see you're still with us, Bessa, said Rick Kelly. And I like when he just occasionally comes out with exactly the right thing at the right time. Yeah, I thought you were going to go to the page where he'd just kind of wandered through the window on his own to start with. Yeah. I just love the image of him just happily standing in the sea for a minute with his, with his uh, trouser legs rolled up like, oh. This is nice. Well, I'm glad he got a nice little trip to the seaside, even if he got trapped there. Yes, yes. And then here uh, we have uh, Mrs. Whitlow. trapped on the beach. Whose fault is that? I'm not going to blame Mrs. Whitlow. The sign was very unclear. Barely read it. I could barely make out the lettering myself. Could have happened to any of us. Yep. But I didn't do it. Mrs. Whitlow is the housekeeper, and she yeah. is currently being very well looked after by seven faculty members because she's accidentally stranded them on an island. But she is incredibly uh, polite and wouldn't want to be offended. Absolutely. I'm easily offended, so I'm going to quickly throw in a purple post-it note for the uh, footnote mm-hmm. about the HW gene, HW chromosome. Mm-hmm. Feminist researchers have allowed isolated this as the one which allows people to see the washing up in the sinks before life forms growing there have actually invented the wheel. Mm-hmm. Or slewed. Uh, or slewed. Uh, yes, I, I dislike the idea of this this chromosome with HW, which clearly stands for something like housewife. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going housework. Oh, yeah, that might make more sense. Maybe I don't need to be feministly angry about this, but I'm going to anyway. That's my choice as a woman. Well, that's fine. And it has also given me a reminder that we are well back in footnotes, aren't we? There are so oh, many yeah. footnotes in this one. I love it. <laughs> I had to resist the edge just put every footnote in like little bits we liked. <laughs> Yeah, let's just let's just assume everybody that all the footnotes are there. Go back and reread them. We're we're big fans. But I love Mrs. Whitlow's decision to not decision, her, her ability to be perfectly formal at all times. Mm-hmm. Sort yes. of uh, even Delicate if she made sandwiches, just <laughs> I was trying to picture that. And... Yeah, I know I can get it. Daintily like um sort of just like you, you break off a little bit at a time and eat it. That's how you politely yeah. eat a banana in uh, ah. etiquette wise. I've not read a lot of etiquette books about bananas, yeah. I have to say. The general rule is you don't just take a bite out of something you're holding. You, If you're using your hands, you break off a small piece and eat it a bit at a time. Yeah, I know that's the deal with like bread in fancy yeah, restaurants. It, it generally, blanket approach. Mm. Um, however, in reality, obviously, eat your banana however the fuck you want to eat your banana. This we is won't be offended. just interesting nonsense. <laughs> It was unthinkable to think of Mrs. Whitlow as having knees. Oh, I I also just love the fact that the senior wrangler fell in love with her after seeing the dressmaker's dummy. You can imagine it kind of it's the kind of thing that like a teenager who's never had any yeah. experience with anything is just the one thing that triggers that oh, a body. Goodness, that means there's there's knees. Maybe. And then we have Rincewind. Rincewind, yay. yay. The anti-hero of our story. 
the well, he's not an anti-hero. He's the opposite of a hero. Counter-hero. What was it? How did they put it? The, the, uh, the just... coward with a thousand retreating backs. I can't remember. <laughs> Something along the hero with a thousand retreating backs. Yes. Uh, many cultures had a legend of an undying hero who would one day rise again. So perhaps the balance of nature called for one who wouldn't. That's it. Somehow balanced by the eternal coward. I also enjoy the description of his hourglass, like his lifetime. Mm. looked like something created by a glass blower who'd had the hiccups in a time machine. Do you remember, and this was prompted in my memory a few days ago by something completely different, that game with like all the tubes that fit together and the marbles. Oh, and yeah. Marble Run, I think it was called. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. So that's what Rinspin's lifetime looks like. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm imagining like that, but like combined with Mousetrap. Mm, yeah, for sure. It's got to have some bits that don't really work and go springing off into oblivion. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe it's just Kaplunk. Kaplunk. <sighs> oh, Rinspin. Poor Rinspin. Um, but yeah, he's having a rough time of it, bless him. Hey, but it's it. nice to see him again. Again, like I said, this is definitely my favourite of the Rincewind books. Yes. And I think this is the one where I like Rincewind's Rincewindliness the most. What's changed? Or are you just used to him? I think it's a combination of I'm used to him. You've definitely sold me on him a bit. And I think it works because it's like him and a wizard subplot. Hmm. Whereas I think interesting times didn't really like the wizards were only in at the beginning of the end. It didn't really have much of a subplot. Yeah, yeah, there and, were there were like scenes away, weren't there? Rather than running through, yeah, yeah. And like I don't know Eric was just weird, but there was a callback to Eric. The sandwich uh, with the sandwich. Yeah, he met the creator and Rincewind refrained, decided to refrain from mentioning he dropped a sandwich into a rock pool at the time. People didn't like to hear they may have evolved from somebody's lunch. <laughs> which follows up with the kangaroo asking, are you coming the raw prawn? Which I'm not sure how common an Australian expression that actually is, but I really enjoy it and I'm going to start using it. That's right, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you coming the raw prawn, mate? I listened to <laughs> a good part of this on audiobook, uh, Nigel Planer, and he does a very good uh, scrappy. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I like is the he Nigel called scrappy? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's in fact coming up to talking about him, but it's a reference to Skippy the Bush Kangaroo. Yes, a show I did occasionally watch. I don't know why it was airing in the UK, but it was on sometimes. Oh, I watched it sometimes as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. I feel like it was like on CBBC or something. Yeah, it, it, it filled in some of the. Did you know that? Um, so you can't really train kangaroos to do things like open doors. Yeah. So what they do in those scenes was use a kangaroo's paw. And like, like on a, a stick. Dismembered kangaroo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the fuck? I know. In Australia, you can buy bits of kangaroo like that quite easily as souvenirs and things. That's really um, weird. It is, yeah. One thing that the, I found in, by, by the way, this is like for tourists, I should say. Yeah. Like on normal Australians who I assume don't walk around with purses made of kangaroo testicles, which is one of the things you'll see everywhere in the tourist cool. shops. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to stick to more fondly remembering other Australian shows from my childhood then. And by that, I mean, I've got the song from Round the Twist stuck in my fucking head again. Spring things things happen, happen. are you going round the twist? twist? Yeah, no, not going to lie. Australia, pretty good kids TV. Uh, but stop I also enjoyed Neighbours for quite some years. Oh, I loved Neighbours. Apparently Neighbours is ending. Yeah, I heard that. I don't really want to think about it. I don't like mm. that. 
No, I don't like no. that as a concept. No. Anyway, uh, sorry, who else? So yes, that's the kangaroo. And we also have the old man and the trickster, and the trickster is the kangaroo. Yes. And the old, the old man, man being the guy with the sack. Yeah, he's carrying the universe in a sack. <laughs> guy with a sack, you know, that guy. The guy with a sack, carrying the universe. <laughs> is that um, an actual something? I feel like that is like an old folkloric slash philosophical thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and the trickster appears as a black and white bird before becoming mm-hmm. the kangaroo. Um, yes. Um, being a magpie theme. Magpies in Australia, by the way, very different. Yeah, so, I remember so we got to talking about, about that with this, the guys from Pratt Chat. And, uh, That's right. Um, but yeah, so in, in some Aboriginal mythology, the the trickster character is crow, uh, sometimes magpie. Everyone has a trickster god, yeah. as, uh, as Pratchett noted. I had a look in my trickster god book and the uh, crow wasn't in there, sadly. So oh, I that's a shame. Yeah, but I'll, I'll link to a couple of the stories. And then the last character I have is Mad, the dwarf. Short-tempered. Short-tempered. Don't call him short. Nope. Riding some kind of huge augmented cart, chased by other huge augmented carts, fighting over hay, which is an incredibly rare resource in mm-hmm. a place that's also very dry and has no water. I'll tell you what, uh, I first read this a very long time before I uh, knew of the existence of Mad Max. I was going to make a joke about it being a reference to a different Australian film. Oh, fuck, I'm sorry. I'll cu- no, I'll, no I'll cut it out. You do it. You say <clears> it. Mate, you no, now it. I can't think of an Australian film. I'm panicking. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay, no. So it's a Mad Max reference, which to be fair, I've never actually seen any of them. Oh, no, that's not true. I haven't seen any of the original Mad Max movies with Mel Gibson. I did watch Fury Road. How was it? It was, you know, those films that are like really good, but you don't feel like you ever need to watch it again. Yeah. Like it was amazing and it was in cinema and it was a big spectacle and it was really cool. And then it's like, okay, I've seen that and now I can move on with my life. That's cool. But yeah, yes. this is a Mad Maxi. Everything's got metal stuck all over it. There's some mental car chase and someone's got mother carved into their sharpened teeth. And yeah, it's all very over the top. I'm pretty sure the reference went totally over my head uh, the first time I read yeah. it as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but it's it's enjoyable without, and it is enjoyable with that understanding. There's another classic Australian movie that's definitely being re- referenced in uh, closer to the end of the book, though. So I'm mm. going to recommend that listeners go watch Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, or rewatch yep. because yep. it's also a fucking delight. I haven't watched that for years. No, me neither. I'm definitely going to rewatch it before yeah. we get to the end of the book, though. That's and it's got Hugo it. Weaving in. Oh, locations. Where are we? We are in XXXX, which, as we've talked about, is definitely not Australia. XXX, that's right, sir. That was a very uh, Woodhouse line. That was. Uh, As Pratchett puts in the little foreword, this is not a book about Australia. It's about somewhere entirely different, which just happens to be here and there a bit Australian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. Definitely not incredibly <laughs> pointed references, more so than to any other country he parodies. I feel like, again, we're missing quite a lot of references. He manages to kind of do this country parody thing very well. Yeah. But yes, it's exciting. It's very sad. Apparently rain isn't a thing there. Rivers are just for running boats along, which when he mentions having a gala in the big city, that really made me fucking laugh. Uh it's really near the end of the section as they approach oh. the little town and Mad's explaining what a river is to Rincewind. Oh, yes, yeah. I 
I, uh, safety tip, listeners. Safety tip: never hang out in one of those dry river beds in a desert because that you'll you'll get yourself drowned if it rains. Those yep. flood incredibly quickly. Well, that ruins my weekend plans. I was going to go hang out in a dry river bed in the desert. Um, Sorry, other Jonah. places, other places. I would have briefly mentioned the hallway. Uh, that the geography professor's study is in. Oh. The walls were stone, but at some point had been painted in that very special institutional mm. green that you get when an almost finished cup of coffee is left standing for a couple of weeks. Mm. Uh, there was a smell of ancient dinners and it really felt like a callback to equal rights. Yeah. Um, do you remember like that's the only time you really get any of the hallways described as like being a bit schooly? Yeah, everything smells like cabbage. Yeah. Yeah. So I just enjoyed that as a fun little callback. Like it's nice to know some of those hallways still exist in the university. Yeah, I do like the uh, the professor of recondite whatever's map um, that is relevant for the next few hours and looks like a chrysanth. Chrys- wow, that's a word I cannot say. Chrysanthemum, chrysanthemum in chrysanthemum. the act of exploding. Yes. Yeah, that's great. And then of course we've got the island. We do, we do have that. The small mysterious island where all the driftwood is natural. Mm-hmm. We're not near shipping routes, and there's only one of everything. Yes, which um, uh, would have been a very good dramatic line. Um, yes, sorry, <laughs> not said to the faculty. <laughs> yeah, the bursar and I went for a walk along the beach. He said, "Then can you guess where we ended up?" In Kidling Street, Quirm, said Ridcully tartly. That's astonishing, Art Chancellor, because you know, in fact, we didn't. We wound up back here. <laughs> I just love all, all of them are just completely incapable of understanding most of the pointed remarks from all of the rest of them. Yep, but they are all making the pointed yeah. remarks all the time. I Unless they involve from- sheets. Unless they involve sheets. It was just tomato sauce, you understand. There's nothing wrong with eating some beans in bed. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I cleaned the beans off. I don't understand why everyone's making such a fuss about a bit of tomato sauce. Dean, will you note? <laughs> this question has nothing to do with, with sheets. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, more about the island later, I think. But for now, I do quite like the idea of, um, of a, a blue cheese bean. Yep, or nut, whatever it was. Blue yeah. cheese nut. I like that. Useful. Well, I like like blue cheese and walnut, so I quite like the idea of it being like a walnut and blue cheese all just all ready and combined in one. Mm. Saves me a lot of preparation. Mm. Little bits we liked. Little bits we liked. What's the first bit? Do you like the, the ceremony of the keys, do you? The blood layers ceremony right at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I like the constant, these things are done for tradition and it's very silly. Mm-hmm. Especially when, in this case, it's the uh, damn. I could have sworn I had them a moment ago. Carefully enunciating, uh, enunciating each word with a sort of bulldog carefulness. Yes. <laughs> like ho ho ho. He said furiously. <laughs> Here's the keys. Then much obliged. All safe and sure, secure. Yeah, I get the idea that a lot of universities have these kind of ridiculous traditions still. I feel um, like Cambridge and Oxford probably yeah. have a lot of ridiculous things for along sure. this line, these they lines. Yeah, for sure. Is it Bloodlow a thing? You know, I keep meaning to Google it every time the Bloodlows come up. What do they describe as something between a cross between a porter um, and a proctor? It is a village in Buckinghamshire. And after that, no, it just comes off as a Discworld thing. So there we go. I think that was just a nice word. That he noted down and used for this. That's fair. Uh, heavy light. Yeah. I know, obviously, the heavy light of the disc world is noted all the time. 
but I the other day listened to one of Radio Lab's re-released episodes called Speed, which yeah. would have been helpful a few weeks ago actually because it was talking about the perception of very slow, very fast oh, kind cool. of thing like we were talking about. But one of the things in there, there was a scientist, and I'm going entirely by memory here because I didn't make notes at the time. There's a scientist who had figured out a way to slow down atoms or molecules i'm going to say atoms atoms to the point where they were stationary yeah and what that does is make the coldest thing in the universe and then she decided that what she wanted to do with that was to shoot light in it see what happened cool yeah i i was vibing very much yeah the attitude of this scientist she was like they were like oh where did you do that so i I, why not um and what happens is the light slows right down and kind of blobs along and then when it gets to the other ring, it's zoom again. So that's really cool. That is really cool. I'll link the episode in the show notes. And I just wanted to tell you about that. And that seemed to fit there. That's not even vaguely related. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. It's amazing. I did also like the idea that there are two types of light on disc world, but you need one to see the other. And yes. it's clearly like ratchet offhandedly uh, dismissing some scientists going going you wouldn't be able to see the light without light it's like well it doesn't matter if you can't see it <laughs> we're on the back of a tassel here guys get some perspective um speaking management yeah <laughs> no not not speaking perspective but yeah red carly's management style having read how to dynamically manage people for dynamic results in a caring empowering way in quite a short time dynamically one of the most successful management books in the universe by the looks of it, or the yep. multiverse, goes back a little bit to Eric again, actually, just in the corporate nonsense section. Yes. But Rid Cully <laughs> takes it, I would say, in a fun new direction. Um, his mental approach to it could be visualized as a sort of business flowchart with, at the top, a circle entitled Me and connected below it by a line, a large circle entitled Everyone, Everyone Else. else. Um, I would like to tell you... That also those those organization flowcharts are called organigrams, which I think is a horrible name. I hate, that. and I learned Thank that you. through through my work the other month. I just inwardly cringed to the point where I nearly turned inside out reading Ricoli's management in in a finding it funny way. But because I've worked with many of those managers, mm. God, I can't remember that really bad manager we both. Oh had yeah, it. I dubbed them right guys managers. Right, guys. Right, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, However, I will say that he also is demonstrated to have what I would consider a good management style, such as when he listens somewhat to the senior wrangler and kind of not assuages his concerns concerns exactly, but says, right, got that, everybody? Avoid traits. But clearly that's nonsense. Um, You know, still. And also, I like the motivational posters. The, uh, The buck starts here. When you're up to your ass and alligators, today is the first day of the rest of your life. I think we should also come up with some of those alongside our new professor names. Yes, new professor names. Uh, listeners, please send us your best nonsense motivational posters. Yeah, motivational mutation quotes kind of thing. Right. And then what's the next one on this list? Skullduggery. Oh, sorry, I ordered these terribly, didn't I? Um, the I, I've got Kindle and audiobook for this. So the page numbers make no sense compared to yours, I'm afraid. Yeah, I figured. Skullduggery. I just rather liked the paleontology and archaeology and other skullduggery 
were not subjects that interested wizards. Skullduggery here, I think, having a double meaning, uh, hmm. being a pun or a play on words. Skullduggery, if you will. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I will. <laughs> yes, I enjoyed that anyway. I actually don't know. I, I probably should have looked as to whether Skullduggery's et- etymology was interesting in the slightest. Um, please go uh, tell me about your one and I'll, I'll have this on in the background. Oh, the beach reads. Uh, oh, is... unknown origin. Sorry, that was easy. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, they've sat down, got comfortable on the beach on what is definitely not a holiday and they're not enjoying themselves. Mm-mm. And uh, the lecturer in recent runes was reading the principles of thalmic propagation, but the sunlight, the cover now reads the Omega Conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And this is a footnotey one, but apparently this happens on the beach. You bring an opportunity book. You, you bring a book you've always wanted the opportunity to read, uh, and then it will turn into a book with a name uh, containing at least one Greek word or letter, such as the Gamma Imperative, the Delta Season, the Alpha Project, the Moo Cow Pie Caper. These days, of course, they are all by James Patterson. Or Dan Brown. I feel like the Has Da Vinci... he written more than those ones? I feel, yeah, I feel like he has got some others, and I feel like they definitely fall into this mm. category. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's, you, there is trash also crime the, or uh, trash, trash crime, trash yeah. conspiracy thriller, yeah. and of course, there's the somewhat considered feminine equivalent in which a young woman would like to open a cafe and a handsome man exists. Yes, uh, the shining example of not that genre, but is always put into that genre. And should always be read on holiday, in my opinion, is Mae Finchie. Absolutely. I mean, you can read that where you want, as in should always be read on holiday, as in if you're on holiday, you should always read that, not you should only read that on holiday. I have got uh, a bit of a chiclet section on my bookshelves. Um, Chiclet is a horrible term, but you know what I mean. I like the the books where a woman wants to open a bakery and there's a handsome man. They're terrible. I fucking love it, yeah. Yeah. But they're not always terrible. That's the thing. Every now and then, you read one like, this is beautiful literature. What the fuck? I, I see this author, well, what the fuck is, it's an easy way to make money if you're a very good author. Yeah, good point. Or, or a competent one. I say easy, easy compared to a lot of genres. Yeah. I've also got a particular fondness for uh, Leslie Pierce, who writes uh, those books, but historical. Oh, do you know what? I'm very picky. I don't like those. Don't like the historical ones, don't. I'll read them like going back to the fucking sixties or whatever. Not, 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 but not. If there is a wimple or a pet, petticoat, I'm not really into it. Oh, see, these are slightly later, and there is one about a woman who's transported to Australia for crimes, uh, and there's one like set during the Crimean War. Um, but there's also some like kind of 1940s going into like 1960s, 1980s. Yeah, that's a bit better. Yeah, yeah. No, I can do that. I'm, yeah, I'm just not into the medieval. No, there's a couple of the Tudory ones I quite like. I mean, at that point, it's not really quite this genre, but like the yeah. Philippa Gregory, like other Boleyn girl yeah. stuff, they're quite good. Yeah. Anyway. What? Um, but I haven't been on a beach. I haven't read on a beach for a very long time. Oh, yeah. And last time I was reading on a beach, I was actually reading uh, V. Schwab. Uh, he's a very good fantasy hmm. type author. I was reading her uh, Dark Shade of Magic's the first one in the trilogy. It's quite a good fantasy trilogy. Do you know what? I'm going to be terrible here. I don't love reading on the beach. Do you I, not? No, I would much prefer to be reading on the terrace of a nearby hotel, bar, coffee shop, whatever, where That's I can fair. see and enjoy the sea. Yeah, because I don't like like lying fully on my back and trying to That's read. It. Yeah, trying to get comfy. Get yeah. 
and you can't sit up unless you've got like a like a deck chair but they're, they're uncomfortable for exactly, reasons yeah, yeah. Well. stabby slats anyway yes um that made me giggle mm-hmm. the beach trees but yes uh there was also i think i already mentioned this but um ponder being very upset that no one's reacting to his dry, dramatic line with by george you know you think you're he's right yes there's some like moments in life where you feel like people should definitely have acted a certain way and they don't it should have been like, like a big musical sting yeah yeah it's like why is nobody paying attention to the narrative arc here this is <laughs> guys we've got a really good established narrative arc could you react to it in kind <laughs> or sod but yes no that's never gonna happen with the wizards and i'm amazed he still has hope i know it's quite sweet that he's not been fully beaten down into misery mm. yet no I it's good for him i love ponda uh, Ponder also contributes to my favourite running joke throughout this book, mm. which is um, you don't get proper fill-in nouns these days. Remember old nickname, ancient wizard who died 50 years ago, who Ponder <laughs> wouldn't possibly be able to remember. Now there was a chap who knew his fill-in nouns. That was very good. Yeah. <laughs> the current tally for the book stands at four. I will be keeping track of this Fantastic. as we go forward and well providing an ex- exhaustive list of names. Moving on to proper talking points. Yes. Uh, we have the same one. Yeah. So because interesting, like Dreamtime mythology, uh, fun things are mainly concentrated later on. So something I did want to talk about actually, I meant to bring up earlier in locations though. Mm. As we've just mentioned, Dreamtime mythology. That's Sorry, get close up at the side of your head there. Oh, your book, right? <laughs> Different book. Oh. Uh, I want to double check Rincewind's original arrival in 4X, which is at the end of Interesting Times. Mm. Um, and they're sort of calling him a kangaroo bloke. No worries. One minute a kangaroo, next minute a bloke, because of course at the end of Interesting Times. Oh, that's right. There's a flattened kangaroo. Yes. There's a flattened kangaroo. And where he is, is described, they're discussing the dream. Yes. And then Rincewind gets hit in the head with a boomerang. Yes, well done. Yes, I'd forgotten about that. Um, anyway, yes, yeah, sorry. Sorry, yeah, no, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, we're sharing talking points for this this episode. Yeah, but yeah, so the, the vague overview being kind of like the savages versus civilization. It's not, it's, it's a trope, but it's also just a like a societal trope. Is that a thing? Yes, which... Yeah, yeah. What's the right. word for that? It's probably a word for that, isn't there? I'm, I'm too media people, drenched at the moment. Yeah. It's a thing people do. Yeah, especially people. You know, the sort of people we have grown up and been around because mm. we live in the UK. Mm. They're kind of uh, highlighted here in the wizard's attitude. Yes, and I, I do like that Pratchett is lampooning it so thoroughly. I uh, think, especially when it comes down to Bridge Cully telling them to build a boat, and the wizard sort of assuming. Well, if savages can do it, of course we can do it. Yes. Can't be that difficult if savages can do it. We just need to find a book on how to build boats. <laughs> yeah, it, was, uh, it sent me down a bit of a rabbit hole, but I'm not going to go into that much but, uh, about early boat building techniques. That's quite interesting. Uh, the, the old Aboriginal techniques of using uh, bark pulled from trees and engraved that was then superseded by uh, dugout canoes in like the 1600s. Oh, cool. Um, and then obviously the uh, parallel, um, like Polynesian, what are they called? Uh, rigger boats. Um, what do I mean? Oh, you know, the um, ones that have like two bits on them. 
yeah mm-hmm. i can't remember what they're called but yeah. i know the kind ones of that get really you. fast like in moana yeah. um, <laughs> fuck <laughs> that's the most shit thing i've ever said i'm sorry <laughs> I can't remember the proper name of everything, but Disney for this culture. I'm very hey, sorry. Moana was actually pretty accurate. They did. Good. I'm glad to hear speak it. Speak to a lot of people indigenous to those areas, and they only cast people indigenous to those areas. I did really enjoy that movie. So I'm glad to hear that. And I love The Rock so much. It's a banging soundtrack. Yeah. And it's got the what guy from um, say Except You're Welcome. And it's the got- New Zealander, you know. The one who's in Flight of the Concords, Jermaine yeah, Clement. Yeah, that's but the, the um, he's the crab. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> not the guy who you talked about about not Figwit, the other guy, Jermaine, not Brett. Yes. Well, speaking of Jermaine points, <laughs> God, I wish I had one to follow that line with. Autogathonous peoples often <laughs> underestimated to colonizers' detriments. Oh, that is the main point, actually. Yeah, I know I do have one. Did I say autogathon? <laughs> Autochthonus. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, it's uh, indigenous. It's another word for indigenous. Yeah. A lot of people who turn up to colonize lands massively underestimate the people who already live there, which is incredibly stupid. So, what I've got is a, a relevant anecdote to the book along a couple of lines. Along this idea of civilized people claiming they are so civilized, they must be more intelligent, they must not need help. Yes, that theme and the theme of stumbling stupidly through the desert as rinse winders. So, I got, yes. So, while we've got the wizards on quite a nice hospitable island, luckily for them, mm. um, we also have Rincewind, who is, luckily for him, willing to listen to the locals. Um, and it's also being helped by a supernatural being of some description. Yeah. <laughs> so, in the mid 1800s, much of Australia's interior was still unexplored by European colonists. Because of that, the government was keen for people to make certain journeys. And from that stemmed the Burke and Wills expedition, which is very famous in Australia. They wanted to cross Australia from Melbourne in the south to the Gulf of Carpentaria in the north, which is about 2,000 miles. They set off in uh, June of 1860. The leader, who was Robert O'Hara Burke, was a soldier, a police officer, and had no bushcraft skills. Excellent. Perfect choice. (laughs) Third in command, who became second in command quite quickly, because the original second in command quite wisely quit and went home, was William John Wills, uh, who was a surveyor, had a bit more experience, but still honestly not great. Yeah. These were not good people to be leading an expedition. They did have an Aboriginal guide for the first good chunk of the journey, which was lucky for them. Largely because of that and largely because they decided to split the group quite early, leaving behind some of the tons of unnecessary stuff they brought. Um, including an oak table and many casks of rum, which they thought would help the camels somehow. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's That totally tracks. Yeah, they made it by November, nearly like uh, 1,500 miles all the way to Cooper Creek. That's kind of the edge of the lands that were explored by Europeans at that time. Mm -hmm. Burke was expected to wait wait there until autumn. This is Australia, remember? So I was reading this and got a bit confused. Autumn is like March. So this is height of summer (laughs) they've ended up there. Exactly. But he decided to make a dash for the finish line very quickly in mid-December, which was very stupid. Yeah. Stupider still, he left the guy behind, split the party again, left with just three other companions, um, one of whom died of dysentery four days before they reached their destination, largely again because of Burke's incompetence. He refused to believe that Greg caught dysentery. Right. Like beat him for trying to steal some extra food because he was dying of malnutrition. He, he's a proper twat. Yeah, I'm getting that vibe. 
<laughs> so they did actually manage to make it to their destination and the three of them started to return home. But Burke and Wills are thought to have died of starvation and beriberi, which is a um, vitamin malnutrition, several weeks after returning to their deserted supply camp at uh, Cooper's Creek. It was deserted because they'd left some kind of well-hidden message, too well-hidden message. It's a whole comedy of errors that is just very... Twattish. Uh, very twattish and annoying to read, especially as it ends in them dying. The Yandru Wanda, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, Aboriginals tried to help these guys, like tried really yeah. hard to help them. There's this one type of fern called the Nandu fern, which is like a, an outback plant that grows near stagnant water kind of thing. And it's an important food to the indigenous people around there. But if it's not prepared carefully, will block the body's ability to absorb vitamin B, which causes beriberi, which is what they died of. And so while they accepted this food from them, but kind of refused to learn how to prepare it properly. Right. And massively contributed to his own death. Well, um, yeah. He kind of deserved it. Yeah. He was also very hostile to the um, Aboriginal people's advances and they were trying to give him fish and all of this. And he eventually shot a pistol over their heads. There's a couple of different stories as to exactly what went down there, as in whether he did it while the other two were away from camp. Whatever it was, it was him who made the decision. He did that. It's very stupid. Mm -hmm. Wills probably died alone, telling the other two to go on without him. King eventually wandered off on his own as well, and he survived because he tracked down the Aboriginal people, I assume apologised, and lived with them for months until the rest oh, of the wow. party came and found them. Yeah, And then back died of starvation, malnutrition again. Um, Couldn't have happened to an colonizer. Yeah. <laughs> now, Charlie King had spent time as a soldier in India and Afghanistan and was really interested in other cultures. Mm -hmm. um, and that's possibly relevant here, whereas Burke had no interest experience with the local people, so they were just completely below him, even though they were clearly thriving in a place where he was starving to death, literally. Wow, the arrogance is uh, is beautiful. Yeah, it is. And I like to think that the wizards would come around a bit quicker here. I mean, Rincewind's not very... this terrible. Rincewind is better. Rincewind already has a lot of this experience, doesn't he? He has. He's good with languages. He's he's talked about. He's talked to everyone in every country. I think by this point. Yeah. But yeah, there's a whole book about the the Burke and Wills thing, like from this perspective, from like properly taking into account Aboriginal people's contribution contribution to making any of it a success yeah um which i will link to a review of it that also then links to the things that's cool it's, uh it's interesting i liked one of the one of the quotes from it which is even in my own field work in the western desert i've always been amazed at how the aboriginal people know who's a couple of days away just by looking at the horizon and seeing plumes of dust or smoke oh fantastic yeah it's cool right anyway yeah uh, do you have an obscure reference for Neil for me? Probably. That seems like something I would have done, doesn't it? You've written the word jam. Yeah, I did, didn't I? Yes, jam. Jam. <laughs> jam sandwiches. Jam. When Rincewind is kind of going off on one, talking to the kangaroo, he's eating a gooseberry sandwich and can kind of taste rhubarb and plum, yeah. maybe. And he's like, you'd be amazed at how often they do that sort of thing. You know, stuff cheaper fruit in. I met this man in, in an inn once. He worked for a jam maker in Ang Warpork, and he said they put in any old rubbish and some red dye. And I said, what about the raspberry pips? And he said they make them out of wood. 
wood. He said he's got a machine for stamping them out. <laughs> very outraged about the jam. Yeah. Um, this was a thing. What, wooden pips? Yep. Oh. Yeah, absolutely it was. Uh, so raspberry jam specifically was very difficult to make and it is delicious. So there was a high demand. And then from that became a lot of jam fakers. This was in the days before there were very stringent laws about what you could and could not sell as food. Instead of raspberry, sorry, they would use rhubarb or other fruits. They would add appropriate coloring. Uh, in one particularly unconvincing recipe from uh, this blog I'm using, uh, they used sweetened turnip jam, Lovely. which uh, the writer doesn't think for a second anyone believed was actually raspberry. Um, <laughs> but the industry itself was quite interesting because they made the wooden pips. They hired hundreds if not thousands of workers to manufacture these tiny pips and they treated the workers horribly to the point where Emmeline Pankhurst discovered the business and was so horrified by how the women were being treated that she founded her own jam factory selling real raspberry jam for much reduced profits um like it's a whole thing there's a lot of jam drama wow yeah so jam fakers is a whole thing and, and the reference little side note there was a whole thing, yeah. But oh, that's great. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, I think that brings us to everything we have to say on uh, the first third of the last continent. <laughs> There's two thirds to go, though, yeah. which is exciting. Uh, so we'll be back next week, hopefully on time, uh, with part two, which starts on page 140 in the Corky paperback with the line... Arch-Chancellor Rigcully glared at the sky as if it was doing this to upset him personally. <laughs> Which it absolutely was. Obviously. And I will find an excuse to read that line again when we record Good. that episode. Please do, yeah. Um, we're going to end on page 256 in the Corgi paperback with, uh, Good day, he said, no worries, eh? I must be say I'm really glad to see you, Drongos, and no two ways about it. Listeners will note I'm not attempting the accent because I feel like we've suffered enough. In the meantime, in the meantime, dear listener, uh, you can follow us on Instagram at the True Shall Make You Fret, on Twitter at Make You Fret Pod, on Facebook at the True Shall Make You Fret. You can join our subreddit community, r slash ttsmyf. You can email us your thoughts, queries, castles, and snacks and dog noises. The True Shall Make You Fret Pod at gmail.com. And if you want to support us financially, go to patreon.com forward slash the true show make you fret and exchange your hard-earned pennies for bonus nonsense, including new monthly recipes for the castles and snacks tier. And in the meantime, dear listener, don't let us detain you. Well, what, what's happened there is I, I made my notes in two places and I copy-paste half of them in the middle of the other half somehow. Oh, good effort.